0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Romans 8. We're going to keep going with Romans 8 and we're not going to finish Romans 8. Romans 8 is just too good to zip through. So I'm just going to, we're just going to hang out here and we were there last week and we were in Romans 7 the week before and today we're going to get to verse 13. We're going to get verses 5-13, but I'm going to start from verse 1 again. And uh, it, Romans is, is, this Romans 8 is, on the one hand, spectacularly celebratory, amazing, incredible, and at the exact same time, uh, spectacularly practical. And, uh, and it's intensely practical, I believe, today. But let's read from verses 1, from verse 1 to verse 13. There is therefore now, I don't get tired of reading this verse, so maybe the rest of the series, I'll start with Romans 8.1 when we do the reading. Um, But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And we looked at that last week. What a wonderful truth that is. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That's where we ended last week, this whole idea that we have been empowered to love. The righteous requirement of the law is love. And now his spirit is in us empowering us to do that. But we continue on now. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that's what we're going to look at, verses 5 to 13. And I want to just do a a quick recap again, a little bit of the main themes of Romans. I want to keep doing this because as we get deeper and deeper into Romans, I don't want you to lose the overall big picture Of what's going on and so we've looked at in Romans this powerful truth of justification that those of us who have given our lives to Jesus have been justified. Our sins are forgiven and we've been put in right standing with God and then this powerful truth that in the present there's no condemnation for us in our struggles. We're justified in spite of our weaknesses. Our sins are forgiven and we're put in right standing with God in spite of the fact that we continue to sin and struggle. That's the incredible thing. Justification is not just some ethereal, spiritual truth. It is a real truth that applies in the midst of real life where there's actual sin and actual struggle and hardship and relational difficulty and, and habitual sin and all these things. Justification continues to hold, and there's no condemnation for us in our weaknesses because we're justified because of Jesus' work on the cross, not because of our own merit. Powerful truths amazing truths. Now, we've been redeemed. I'm going to go to the next screen, a little more uh, review here. Our redemption is happening in stages, okay? So there's there's two stages. We're kind of in the now not yet. We've received some of the redemption. We've received some of the promise, but it hasn't been fully realized in us yet. In the present, we have been forgiven and washed clean already because of Jesus work on the cross. That's awesome. We have been set free as we looked at last week. We looked at this in depth. Uh, very important truth. We have been set free from the dominion and power of sin, but we have not yet been set free from sinning itself. And we looked at that last week of sin as this monster with tentacles and chains holding on to us. Jesus lops those things off right where the beast is. We still have chains around us, but now with Jesus, we're untangling them the rest of our lives, but we're not held by the beast. Alright? And then number three, our spirits are already alive in Christ, but here's where the tension comes in. Our bodies Our bodies are still subject to sin and death. And so there's this war going on in us. The Spirit has already been redeemed. The body's still subject to sin and death. There's this war inside of us between wanting to do right and wanting to follow Christ and, of course, our sinful flesh. Now, in the future, in the future, we're going to be fully, the redemption will be accomplished at the resurrection. We will fully be set free, not just from the power and dominion of sin, but from sinning itself. Oh, hallelujah, I can hardly wait. And uh, those of you who have lost loved ones who know Jesus, it's so sad and we miss them, but they're already getting to live that. Really wonderful. Uh, We don't want them to come back. We want to go join them. That's what we want, right? So physical bodies uh, in the future, physical bodies will also be rescued from sin and death. That's the part we don't have yet. Our spirits are alive now. In the future, our physical bodies will also be rescued from sin and death and every part of us will then be alive to Christ, All right. So powerful truths, we've been justified. And now in the meantime, there's no condemnation for us uh, in our struggles. Really powerful. So, then the question comes again, and we've asked this a number of times already in this series, but Paul just keeps hitting it back and forth uh, over and over again. And the question then comes up, does it matter if we sin? Okay? Because the temptation might be, in light of the fact that justification, I've I've already been forgiven, I've already been put in right standing with God, Uh, I'm, there's no condemnation for me in the present in my weakness, Uh, then does that, then really does it matter if we sin? Because we're forgiven, we're in right standing, maybe sin is no big deal. Some people might even be tempted to use their weaknesses as an excuse. So some people, you know, two weeks ago we went through Romans 7 and I absolutely love that chapter and I think many of you do as well. So Romans 7 is this whole chapter about how we end up doing what we don't want to do and we don't do what we should do and it's all about our weakness Some people, and of course, we should all feel really good when we read that chapter because Paul empathizes with us. The great apostle Paul also had weakness. But some people take that that chapter almost too far and now all of a sudden they use chapter 7 of Romans as an excuse to have weakness. Why bother fighting it? Paul had weakness. I have weakness. May as well just revel in it until the resurrection, right? Like it's almost like why bother fighting it? Why bother suffering? Why bother feeling guilty? May as well just be weak, and, and so uh, that's a good question. Does it matter if we sin? And can weakness be an excuse for us not to fight against sin? And we'll see now here in Romans 8 that that is exactly the opposite, that is far and away not the attitude Paul wants us to take. And verse 13, he says this For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay? But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. This is, even with the truth of justification in place, even with the truth of there is now no condemnation for you in your struggle, it is still true that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, he's not talking about physical death here. We all die physically, okay? He's not talking about physical death. That doesn't make sense with the context. It doesn't make sense with what he's saying. Furthermore, living in the flesh won't kill you immediately, Okay, we'll all die eventually. He's not talking about physical death here. He's talking about spiritual death. And, and really, there's two levels of this. The first level is of, of spiritual death is you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. A person who gives their life to Christ, if you continue living in the flesh, if you, then you're going to continue to reap from the flesh. Just because, because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean Uh, you won't reap what you sow. I mean, just because you call yourself a Christian and you've given your life to Christ, if you continue to act angry and selfish and self-centered in your marriage, you're going to reap a broken marriage from that. You're going to reap a bad marriage from that. Having being justified doesn't stop that. You're still going to reap death if you sow death. If you want to spend all of your time watching uh, you know, entertainment and spending all of your money and energy on worldly pursuits. The fact that you're justified, okay, assuming again that you actually are justified, that you actually did give your life to Christ, okay, but if, if you sow all your life into that, you're still going to reap death from that, Okay? And then there's a second level. So on the one level, you reap what you sow, still holds. The fact that there's justification doesn't mean that you can just live however you want and nothing bad. If you live in the flesh, you will will reap death from it. At the very least, you'll reap it in terms of you reap what you sow. But even on a second level here, there's no question. You can check with commentaries and whatever. Paul is certainly also talking here about full spiritual death. In other words, a person who just fully embraces a life of the flesh and calls himself a Christian. Either they never gave their life to Christ in the first place or we're talking like in a similar passages to Hebrews 6 or Hebrews 10, you've got a person who may have given their life to Christ at one point but they have turned away from that to fully embrace a life of the flesh and a person like that is not saved. It's spiritual death. If you, we have to take this passage very seriously. Paul's not joking here. If you live according to the flesh, you will die, okay? You will die. Now, again, I know whenever I say something like that, okay, I know there's the anxious sort here in this service today, people who constantly question if they're saved or not. We've gone through this the last few weeks. I want to reiterate it. The fact that you sin doesn't mean that you're not saved, But what I'm talking about here is a very real truth that if you live according to the flesh, if you just embrace a life of the flesh, you will reap what you sow. You will reap death from that life. And if you have just fully embraced it, perhaps you never gave your life to Christ in the first place, or maybe you've lost it, but whatever the case is, you cannot embrace a life of the flesh. It's one thing to struggle. It's one thing to sin and be weak and get back up and confess it and not want it. That's a totally different thing. You're fully justified. There's no condemnation. But to embrace a life of the flesh is to die spiritually If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And so as a result of that, Paul says this. He's in the very next line there. But if you, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you want to live, if you and I want to live, there is no question in Paul's mind or in the scripture that the Christian life is supposed to be a battle. You did not give your life to Christ. The, the, the The outcome of the truth of justification, justification is such a wonderful truth. I've been put in right standing with God. The outcome of that truth is not that I sit back and go, that is so sweet. God doesn't care if I sin anymore. I'm in right standing with God and now away I go and I just sit back and it's okay. I don't, I don't even resist my flesh. That is not the outcome of what, how we are to respond to the truth of justification. The response is supposed to be that we're supposed to rise up in gratitude and put to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, that's violent language. Now, I will also emphasize by the spirit, you are going to be empowered. You are empowered to put them to death God's not asking you to put to death the deeds of your flesh on your own strength. That'd be impossible. Give up before you even start. That'd be depressing. But he has empowered you to do something. He hasn't empowered you to sit back and use your weakness as an excuse to just say, well, I'm just weak and I'm just human. I may as well, like, what am I going to do about it? No, no. He's empowered you by the Spirit, if you've given your life to Christ, to rise up and put to death, put to death the deeds of your flesh. And of course, you need to understand that putting to death the deeds of your flesh, that means, that means war. That means war. That means pain. This is violent imagery. Uh, I think common misconceptions about the Christian life. Uh, one, there's a, you know, one group of Christians in our culture. Uh, they think of the Christian life as kind of like a cruise ship. Nobody would actually say this. I mean, nobody puts this on posters. The Christian life is a cruise ship. But a lot of us live that way. And basically, if you have the idea that the Christian life is a cruise ship, this is how you treat your Christian life. You give your life to Christ or you say a a prayer, whatever it is, and you become a Christian. And now what you do is you go, well, I'm going to heaven after I die. Don't have to think about that anymore. Sweet. Don't have to be afraid of hell. And now for the rest of my life till I die, I'm going to try and enjoy my life here on earth as much as I can. That's cruise ship Christianity so many now most people wouldn't come out consciously and say that's what they're living but if you look at many christians lives in our culture that's exactly what they're living is cruise ship christianity uh, what am i living for well i go to church on sunday and i believe in jesus enough that i want to go to heaven after i die but in the meantime what i really am living for is i want to have a nice house i want to have a night all the nice toys i want to have a comfortable life I want to just enjoy my life. It's like life is a cruise ship. I want to have nice vacations. I don't want to have to serve too hard. I don't want to have to suffer. I don't want to be too uncomfortable. I just want to live as nicely as I can and at the end of that, then I get to go to heaven. That is cruise ship Christianity. But Paul says, you haven't been saved for a cruise ship. You haven't been saved to sit back in a lazy boy and just say, well, I'm weak, I'm weak. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's too uncomfortable and painful to really change anything about that. He says we are to put to death. Now, there's another mentality. There's not just the cruise ship mentality. Another mentality that is common in a different crowd. So one crowd is the, I gave my life to Jesus, and now I just basically want to enjoy my life as much as I can and go to church and be a decent person, but enjoy my life as much as I can here on earth and have as comfortable life as I can here on earth and then go to heaven. There's another group that they sound more spiritual, uh, but these are the people who basically think that the spirit life is automatic and easy. These are people who, they, they're not on the cruise ship mentality, they actually want to do something for God often, but they just think that, you know, as long as, if I just spend time in the Spirit, uh, the Spirit wants to do great things in us, He's got great power, and if I just walk with the Spirit and pray and love the Spirit and talk to the Spirit, then, my, then He's just going to make the shackles fall off my life. Well, first of all, by the way, amen, the Holy Spirit does do that. He does heal. He does transform. He does those things. But this idea that the Christian life now is, if I just pray enough and spend enough time with Him and rely on Him enough, He'll do all the work for me, is again not what we see here. Paul does not say, sit back and let the Holy Spirit do everything in you. If you just pray enough and listen to him enough and spend enough time worshiping, you're going to have a good feeling in you, and eventually you just won't even want to do bad things, and the Holy Spirit will just take over your life, and everything will be dandy and easy. He says, now, by the Spirit, you will lie down and let him do all the work. No, no. By the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of your flesh. Put to death is war, Put to death is war. It's painful imagery. It's violent imagery. It's not going to be easy. There's a part of you, your flesh, that is wicked beyond belief. It is deceitful. It is worldly. It stands against everything that is Jesus. You gave your life to Jesus, but there's a part of you, the flesh, that will never give itself to Jesus. It only wants to serve yourself. That part of you can never be trusted. It can't be trusted. It will, if you give it an inch, it'll take the whole thing. It wants to rule your life. And just praying a lot or thinking that the spirit is going to automatically do something will give you a false expectation in your life and you are going to get discouraged and you are going to get disillusioned when you find that actually overcoming in life is really, really, really hard sometimes. By the Spirit, you've been empowered by the Spirit, not just for everything to be automatic, but you have been empowered by the Spirit to go to war with your flesh. It's not a cruise ship. It's not automatic. Put to death the deeds of your flesh. And I had a bunch of uh, Jesus verses from the Gospels I wanted to show you. I'll just show you one because Jesus preached this all the time. I love how the Holy Spirit, you read Paul, you go to the Gospels and it's like, yeah, yeah. Jesus and Paul were on the exact same page. Obviously, uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul. Matthew 11 verse 12, though Jesus said this, a little known verse or a little used verse, From the days of John the Baptist, Jesus said until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. And women, of course, we're equal opportunity here. Okay? Um, But forceful men and women lay hold of it. Notice here that it does not say, nice people lay hold of the kingdom of God. It does not say, nice people lay hold of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'll just stop there for a moment because some of you are not nice in your relationships with people, and you're taking this verse as sweet, okay? Shame on you. This is not talking about, he's not saying here, outwardly violent and angry people will lay hold of the kingdom of God, okay? Okay, clearly that is not the case, okay? He's talking about the inner struggle. If you want to lay hold of the kingdom of heaven in your life, If you want to lay hold of the kingdom of heaven in your heart, in your family, if we want to do in this church, the only kind of people, the only kind of people who can really grab hold of the kingdom of heaven are forceful people. They're not people who just sit back and figure, I'm just going to enjoy the Christian life and then go to heaven. Those people will not grab hold of the kingdom of heaven. And people who think, it's just automatic, I'll just let the Spirit do all the work. No, no, you've been empowered by the Spirit to go to war. You've been empowered by the Spirit to be forceful, to grab a hold of this thing. And again, this is painful because the part of you that you're going to war with is you. The reason this is painful is, Paul doesn't say, you need to put to death the deeds of your wife's flesh don't we wish, right? Put to death the deeds of your husband's flesh and the, and the women that preach it, brother, right? Like, put to death the deeds of your teenager's flesh. That wouldn't be all that painful, okay? Please, Lord, empower me to do that, right? To kill somebody else's flesh. No, that's not what he said. That's what we want to do. We want to kill everybody else's flesh. Why are you bitter and angry? Because so-and-so in the church didn't treat me the way they should have. And it's like, well, you want to kill their flesh. It's your flesh that's the problem. So by the Spirit, we've been empowered to put to death the deeds of my flesh. But because it's mine, it's a part of me, that's what hurts. We're not killing somebody else. We're killing our own deeds, our own wants and desires deep inside of us. There are, there are fears deep inside of us. There are motivations deep inside of us There are wrong beliefs about how we find joy and purpose and meaning in life. And we crave these things so badly, we want them, but they are of the flesh. And it's exactly those cravings, those needs, and those fears which have to be put to death by the Spirit. And so how do we actually do this? How do we actually put to death the deeds of our flesh? Well, Paul has a lot to say about that here in chapter 8, if we go back to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if you want to live and act out of the Spirit, it's going to start with what's going on in your mind. See, our actions are flowing out of our thinking and feeling. It's the motivations, it's the fears, it's the desires, it's the cravings that are in your mind. That are driving your behavior. So if we're going to put to deed the the or to put to death the deeds of our behavior, uh, it's it's you can't just go straight to the behavior. I mean, you can. We got to fight it there too. It's kind of a both and. But if we really want to have long-term success, we've got to step back further and we've got to fight this battle in the mind. We've got to fight against those fleshly cravings, and those fleshly ways of thinking, those fleshly ways of fearing, those fleshly ways of perceiving, we've got to fight it there. Because if the mind is set on the flesh, in the end, you're only going to do flesh. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's very interesting. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you know how often we dress up fleshly thinking and behavior in religious stuff, in spiritual stuff? And, but we think, we think we're doing something good because we're serving in the church. Or we're doing this or we're doing that or we're saying this or we're saying that. But actually, it's all coming from a twist sometimes that sometimes it's coming from this twisted place of actually I'm trying to use serving or I'm trying to use, uh, you know, our beliefs or the Bible to build myself up or to fill myself in fleshly ways. And you can be doing as good a thing as you think on the outside, but if it's driven by the flesh, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God in the flesh. And the flip side is, if you set your mind on the spirit, that is life and peace. How many of you want life and peace? I don't know. Okay, six of you want life and peace. The rest of you, you're dismissed. Go and be miserable, okay? Enjoy. Grumpy. Lustful. That's awesome. No, we want to be in the Spirit. Uh, Set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That's what I want. That's what you want. That's what we all want. Now, before we go any further, I want to do a little bit, I think we need to do a little bit of defining. I almost got past this point uh, when I was preaching or when I was getting ready during the week. And uh, something I just realized, I I think we need to just stop and actually look at what does it mean to be in the flesh? What does it mean to be in the spirit? Because sometimes it's just easy to use those terms and we can be very general and vague with them, but I think it hits home more if we look at this specifically. What does it mean to be in the flesh? What does it mean to think in the flesh? To act in the flesh? And so I've put down three ways. There'll be other ways, no doubt, too, but three ways Uh, that you can be in the flesh or that you can be thinking in the flesh. We'll just identify these and I think it'll help us going forward. One way to think in the flesh and live in the flesh is to be governed by our appetites, to be governed by our appetites. Uh, When my appetites govern me, then I'm in the flesh, I'm thinking in the flesh, I'm acting in the flesh. So for example, obviously lust would be an obvious one. Uh, Notice that it's the appetites themselves are not Sinful. Okay, I'm not saying if you have appetites, then you're in the flesh. No, no, no. The appetites, for example, uh, sexual desire was made by God. It's good. And it's for marriage. Okay, if a, a, a married couple or a spouse that doesn't have sexual desire, that's actually a bad thing. You need prayer. You need help for that. Sexual desire is supposed to fuel intimacy and oneness in marriage. But here's the thing. So you have an appetite for it. The appetite isn't fleshly. The appetite is just something God's given to drive intimacy in marriage. Um, But if the appetite starts to fuel something that is not intimacy in marriage, if it becomes a, a controlling behavior now, it's a lustful gratification of yourself or something in a relationship outside of marriage, now it's an appetite that controls you. No longer is it feeding something good, intimacy in marriage, that God made it for. Now it's its own thing, governing your life, When an appetite, whether it be lust or some other physical appetite, governs your life, that is the flesh. That's the flesh. You're thinking in the flesh. You're controlled by the flesh. You're behaving out of the flesh. To be governed by an appetite is to be in the flesh. A second way you can be in the flesh is to be governed by your fears. To be governed by your fears. And again, it's not sinful to feel fearful. God God made the emotion of fear. And many times we can't control when we feel it. Our feelings of fear are often rooted in things deep in our past. They're not easy to just cast off, okay? And God does not ever get mad at you for feeling fearful. But when we allow our fears to govern our lives in such a way that we don't obey God, that we disobey Him, we don't do what He's called us to do, We don't take responsibility for the things he's called us to take responsibility for. When our fears govern us, not feeling fear, but when our fears govern us, you are now living in the flesh. You are behaving in the flesh. Um, And there are many examples of this in Scripture. I've been surprised how many examples in Scripture. God is very merciful towards feelings of fear. But how many stories in here involve people disobeying God out of fear and he is not pleased with that? I've just been reading in my devotions. If you read uh, Numbers 13 and 14, I was just reading this past week in Numbers 13 and 14. And the children of Israel, God has taken them to the promised land. He says, Go in and take it. They send in spies. The spies find giants in the land. They say that we feel like grasshoppers next to these guys. Now, how many of you would feel fearful if there were people that made you feel like a grasshopper? I would feel fearful. I would feel fearful, okay? God's not mad at them for being afraid. But what happens next is what he gets mad at. They come out and say, there's no way we can take it. We're not going to take it. And at that point, God gets very mad and he judges them. He sends a plague on them and says, none of you uh, this generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, are going to experience the land. There's lots of stories like that in the Bible. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is a famous uh, uh, story of parables, a uh, parable of talents. And uh, in it, Jesus gives to the one servant five talents and he gives to another servant two talents and he gives to another servant one talent. Now the beauty of this story is that God does not expect the same of all of us. He gives to each one differently and we can't compare ourselves and he doesn't expect that of the one talent guy to do the same as he expects of the two and the five. Absolutely not. But the one-talent guy, the thing he does wrong. So the five-talent guy goes out and doubles his and makes ten. The two-talent guy goes out and doubles his and makes four. The one-talent guy is afraid. And I want to show you this. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground here you have what is yours okay so there you have it he was afraid now i'm going to tell you again jesus is extremely gentle with all of us who are afraid we all feel fear at different times jesus will never rebuke you for feeling fear he loves you he is gentle okay it's okay to feel fear but i want you to know what this guy did he didn't just feel fear he went and hid He went and hid. God had given him a responsibility. God had given him a trust, and instead of using it, even just invest it. But God's not expecting him to turn the one into ten. He's not expecting him even to turn the one into two or three or four or five. He's just expecting him to do something with it. But instead of doing something with what he had been given, he went and hid. And as a result, look what look what look how Jesus tells this parable. But his master answered him, "You wicked and slothful servant! You're not wicked for feeling fear." You're only wicked for disobeying. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given, more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Jesus telling this parable, okay? So that's a a strong statement. Fear itself is not bad. We often can't control it. You don't have to feel guilty ever for feeling fear. But even in our fears, God asks us. He says, do not make parenting decisions, business decisions, life decisions where you're going to disobey me because you're fearful. Because fear, as bad as it is, is not an excuse for disobedience. To be governed by my fear, to treat people out of fear, to make decisions out of fear, what I'm going to end up doing is I'm going to be manipulating people, I'm going to be controlling people, I'm going to be doing this. All of that is the flesh. So I feel for people. I've struggled with fear. All of us at various times struggle with fear. I feel for all of us who struggle with fear, but fear is not an excuse. And again, I think back to Paul. See, we have this mentality, this, this cruise ship mentality has just so infected us in our culture because we're, we just want pleasure and ease. We just think as soon as something gets hard, that's my excuse to shut down as soon as something gets really hard, that's, I mean, I'm just too scared. Obviously, God wouldn't expect me to do something if I'm really scared to do it. But actually, you just read this book. Moses, I mean, we could just go on and on. Moses, to Exodus chapter 4. God comes to him and says, you're going to go speak to Pharaoh. But I stutter. Go speak to Pharaoh. But I stutter. I'm really scared. Go talk to Pharaoh. He gets mad at him. He says, who made your mouth? See, when we refuse out of fear, what we're really saying is, you're not strong enough. You don't know what you're doing. It becomes rebellion. So fear's not fun. Absolutely not. But fear is also not an excuse when we are governed by our fears. We are in the flesh. That's the flesh. Sometimes the Christian life is war. That means sometimes I need to obey when I'm afraid When I'm scared, when it's very, very hard, but the Spirit will empower me in those times. Number three, a third way we operate in the flesh is when we make things all about me. And I'm not talking about me as in Chris up here. You could put your own hand on your chest and say, Me. When I make everything about me, when it has to be my way, when it's my interests above yours, when it's for my glory, that's the flesh. That is the flesh. And this one can be very subtle. As I said before, people can even do this when they're doing ministry or some other outwardly good thing. You know, so-and-so, I've seen this. I mean, I've been here now over 13 years, going on 14 years. And uh, I've seen this in my own life. It's not just other people. I've seen this in my own life. But you know, so-and-so gets involved in a ministry and you think, great, they're going to serve now. But after a little while, you notice something's a little bit wrong there. And then there starts to be problems. Because what, what you eventually realize this person came in to serve. And outwardly, they thought they were coming to serve God in the church. But actually, when it comes down to it, you find out they were really there. And it was all about them. It has to be their way, it's about their talents, it's about them having an outlet for their giftings and their whatever. And it's about them as soon as it becomes me, it doesn't matter how good a thing you're doing outwardly. As soon as it becomes about me, it's the flesh. My favorite story of the opposite of me is John the Baptist. I've loved this story for several years and I've got to underline it underlined in my Bible. But in John chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist shows us the exact opposite of the me spirit, the me mentality. And John the Baptist had a huge ministry. I've talked about this one before, but thousands of people were going over to hear him preach. And uh, people were repenting. Thousands of people were getting baptized. He had tons of disciples. I mean, he was just the epitome. He thought, think about feeling good. Like you're doing a ministry, and you can feel good about yourself because people are flocking to you. Okay? And so he's famous. Everybody in the land of Israel and this, even the surrounding countries there in the, in the north knew about John. Uh, Because he was famous, he was successful, he was an amazing minister. Then Jesus came along, and everybody left John to go to Jesus. So have you ever had anything even just a little bit like that? Like you had a ministry, it was successful, people were listening to you, and all of a sudden, you have less influence. You have less ministry, you have less whatever. So everybody's leaving John, and I want you to see how he responds. Start in verse 26. And they came, that's his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, he, that's Jesus, who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. Okay? So he came to you, now everybody's going to him. And his disciples are upset. You know, his staff, right? It's like, ha, this was fun and now it's not as fun. Now look at how John answers. Verse 27. Now this, I just want to show you the opposite of me mentality. This is the opposite of the flesh. Look at this response. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. So first of all, I'm going to read, I'm going to read you another verse yet. But that is a spirit mentality as opposed to a flesh mentality. A person cannot receive even one thing. My whole ministry that I had before wasn't about me. So we get caught up in often when we're doing good things. My business is successful ultimately because I'm so smart. I'm I'm just so smart. My ministry is so successful because I'm just that good. I just, I'm a good musician. I'm a good teacher. I'm I'm just good. Whenever we have success, it usually goes to our head. And if anybody would ask you, you wouldn't say it. You would say, oh, praise God. You know, it's all the glory to him. It just all goes to him. But inside, we really feel like it's me. And John the Baptist says, I couldn't have received even one thing if it wasn't from heaven. It was never about me. And then look what he says next. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He must increase, but I must decrease. You want to see the epitome of thinking in the spirit as opposed to thinking in the flesh. It's right there. I must decrease. I must decrease. He must increase. Other people can increase. God must increase. I must decrease. Now, here's the thing. The more you fight, now you, nobody goes into ministry or into business Or at least most people who are self-respecting Christians, and you don't go into the interview and say, I want to increase. Like, I I want to be the man, I want to be the person, I'm I'm full of myself. Nobody goes in saying that, but the fact of the matter is most of us are wrestling with this. The outcome of I must increase is anger, hurt feelings, and bitterness. And it happens all the time in churches. Anger, hurt feelings, bitterness. Why is there anger? Why is there so many hurt feelings? Why is there so much bitterness? I'll tell you, because we don't have I must decrease, we must have I must increase, and somebody else didn't give me the glory. Somebody else didn't give me the control. Somebody else didn't put me in charge. Somebody else didn't say thanks to me, and I deserved it. Now my feelings are hurt, now I'm mad, and now I'm bitter. John the Baptist says none of that. He says, I must decrease see, the flesh has to actually be put to death. It has to be put to death and that will often feel like death to do that. But you know, in the end, it's actually where happiness is. Happiness isn't in fighting to increase. Happiness comes on the other side of I must decrease. I think of Jesus' words about what a true servant mentality looks like in Luke chapter 17. This is Jesus recruiting volunteers. And he says this, "Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table?" So he's talking about a servant, right? So will he not rather say to him, "Prepare supper for me, dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you can you will eat and drink." Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? And it's a rhetorical question, the answer is no. Okay? Now look how Jesus applies this mentality to us. So you also When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. That's the I must decrease mentality. Now the thing is, this is so opposite to what we naturally want. Because we just think happiness is when I'm noticed. Happiness is when I'm appreciated. Happiness is when people get me. Happiness is everybody understanding how amazing I am and how hard I'm working and how much I'm sacrificing. Doesn't anybody know we think happiness is there. Actually, this is the happiest place to be. This is the happiest place to be when you can just say to Jesus, I just love you. I must decrease. I just want to serve you. Whether anyone notices, whether there's any thanks, I just want to serve and love you. That's the I must decrease mentality and, it, and it's the opposite. Your flesh tells you, no, 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 that could never make you happy. And yet the exact opposite is true when you're fighting for your rights, when you're fighting for control, when you're fighting to be noticed, when you are fighting, fighting, fighting for all of those things, that is when you are the most miserable. In Galatians 5, we see a contrast between the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery. Those ones are obvious. We hit those all the time. Everybody knows those are the flesh. So let's move on to the next batch. Because this is where a lot of Christians live. These are more kind of the white-collar sins. These are the flesh. And the flesh is death. These are the deeds we must put to death. Enmity. You know what enmity is? Not liking people. Oh, shoot. (laughs) Because I know a lot of Christians. I have a lot of conversations with Christians, and I include myself. I don't have a lot of conversations with myself, but (laughs) just so you know, I'm one of you. I I have a lot of conversations with Christians that revolve around I don't like, some form of I don't like. These people at my old church, and these people over there, and that guy over there, and that girl over there, and I don't like, and I don't like, and I don't like, and I don't like. And always there's reasons. There's never no reason. And so you say, well, maybe the problem is with you. No, 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 no. Did you not see how they treated me? Did you not see how they looked at me? Did you see how they did not notice me? And the answer is, really, it doesn't matter. Enmity is the flesh. Jesus said in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount he said, love your enemies. So he just threw out all the excuses for not liking people and said, if you don't like people, that's the flesh. Put it to death. Put it to death. The problem is not there. The problem is here. Put it to death. Enmity, strife, fighting, jealousy, wanting to Someone else's attention, someone else's gifting, someone else's life, jealousy, put it to death, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, that talking and babbling and negative gossip behind the scenes, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things. Notice how he puts now orgies, that's a bad one. (laughs) Like we just pick on these certain ones, like you're a really bad person if you do that one. Notice that one comes at the end of a line of everything else, right? He just lumps them all together. And things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, I want you to notice, when you're doing enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, and divisions, are you happy? Like how's that working for you? Well, it's working great, Chris. I just love not liking people. It's a great feeling. <laughs> Are you happier when I must increase? You're not happier. You're more miserable. So putting to death the flesh is painful. It is hard. But it is actually ultimately happy work. It's happy work. Because look at what the very next verse says. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of putting those things to death, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I want some of that. The next one, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Again, look at this violent imagery. You can't trust your flesh. The fact that Jesus has justified you is not an excuse for you to wallow in your weakness. You are not condemned in your weakness. Jesus loves you that truth needs to spur us on to fight and kill the flesh. Crucify it. You've got nothing to lose. When you mess up and when you sin, as long as you're fighting against it, Jesus says, no condemnation. I love you, son. Get up for the thousandth time. I absolutely love you. Keep going. But he does not say there's no condemnation for you. Sit back and just let your weaknesses wash over and control you. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So I want to wrap this up now, and we're going to go back to Romans in just a, in just a moment. I just want to give you three practical steps. There's so many. I almost got overwhelmed getting ready for this message because we could talk for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Practical steps. There's hundreds and hundreds of practical steps. How do you grow? in walking in the Spirit, in thinking in the Spirit. Okay? But I just want to give you three practical steps you can take. And there's many, many more. But I just prayed about it and I said, what's the most practical thing, God, I can give them to end this with? And, and we'll go back to Romans 8 in just a moment. Uh, but one thing I'd encourage you, you saw it on the announcements just before, but I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, but I would encourage you to sign up for the Learn to Love course. You know, this Learn to Love course that Stephen's doing. It really is a whole course about thinking in the Spirit. He just, it's just different language. Uh, quieting, being thankful, uh, you know, creating belonging, loving people. That's actually, it, it's practical steps how to walk in the spirit as opposed to the flesh. How to grow your spirit muscles to think differently. It's coming up in two weeks. I'd highly recommend you do it. Number two, practical thing. Do, do this in your journaling this week, or during your devotions. Take note of flesh mentality and me mentality in your life and kill it. Journal in your, in, in your journal. Just start to take notice. While you're doing your regular devos, just start to take notice of enmity, envy, strife, division. All the places where it's I must increase instead of I must decrease. Just take note of it and start to pray against it. And start to not accept it. Start to just not at least, so often we just let the flesh be there and we just accept it. We don't notice it, we don't bother with it. Just begin to journal about it and pray about it and start to say, I don't accept this part of me. It might take me 15 years to change it by the power of God's Spirit, but I don't accept it anymore. And then the last thing is, have faith. God's Spirit is working in you please talk to him. Look at, we'll go back to Romans 8 and finish there. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Here's what I want to say to you. You, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are a radically different person. If you have given your life to Jesus, you are a radically different person. A lot of you just don't really believe that. Here's what a lot of us think about Christianity. Before I became a Christian, I didn't believe in Jesus. Then I became a Christian and I started to believe in Jesus. So what changed in me is my beliefs just changed. Well, amen, your beliefs changed. That was important. But that is so much, so much more radically More than that happened when you gave your life to Jesus. See, a lot of us just think, there's a non-Christian and there's me. We're exactly the same except for one thing. I believe in Jesus. They don't. That's actually so far from the truth. It's true that you believe in Jesus and they don't. But there is something that is radically different about you than about those billions of people out there that have not given their lives to Jesus. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, it's not just some beliefs in your head that changed. God himself came and took up residence in you. God himself came and took up residence in you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, then you don't have the Spirit of God. But if you have given your life to Christ then the Spirit of God is inside of you as we speak. You are a totally different person in substance already than you were before you became a believer. And we need to meditate on that. I'm going to finish with this one last verse, verse 11, just a second. But we need to actually think about that. Some of us need to just go home and every day this week, stop and think about that fact, I have given my life to Christ. His spirit is actually inside of me right now. He's actually living in me. Some of us are so busy with life, we never stop to give the most incredible truth in the universe a second thought. The spirit of Christ is inside of you, which means that as you journal about the the me mentality in your life, you're not journaling out of despair everything you're journaling is out of hope. Because by the Spirit, by the Spirit, this week we're leaving this service We're going to make war on our flesh, but we're not doing it out of a place of hopelessness or anger. We're going out of a place of hope. By the Spirit who is inside of me, I'm empowered, and sometimes it's going to be so hard. Sometimes fighting the flesh will be hanging on by my fingernails, feeling like I I have nothing left to give, straining with every part of my being. Can I even survive? But you will, because in that straining against the flesh by the spirit who is inside of you, you are going to overcome. And that's why verse 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this truth that your spirit is in us, we are not just Christians in the sense of different beliefs in our heads. We are people with your Spirit inside of us. Make that truth come alive to every person in this room. This week, make it come alive. Make it stick. Make it take root. Make it give us hope. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would encourage us by your Spirit to attack and put to death the deeds of our flesh that we may be radically remade and new, that people would notice a difference when we go to work. Those people are not enmity, division, rivalry, dissension. Those people are patience, kindness, love, joy, and peace. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.